Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this episode, we got to chat with Jenny Beth all about her new record, as well as the collection of stories that she's written, as well as acting, as well as the very nature of love itself. I really enjoyed this interview, and I hope that you do as well. So yes, welcome to Why Not Both, a podcast about people who do a bunch of stuff, which is ironic during our current times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was listening to your new album, and it's absolutely amazing. So if you'd be up for talking about that, as well as the other Thank you. things that you do, you're welcome. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I'm glad I like it too. <laughs> I was wondering when I was reading about it, um, there was a lot about the other things that you've been doing as well. And I was curious mm. about those. Uh, writing the short stories. Yeah. 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 I, 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 between recording sessions of To Love Is To Live, I started writing um, and uh, ended up writing a book. It wasn't really planned at the beginning. I was just kind of fed up with lyric writing or more than fed up. I just couldn't write any, any lyrics anymore. Oh, wow. I had this moment of drought. Yeah, I think I had written the lyrics of the album quite soon, and so when when it was still um, when it, we were still searching on the music and working with different people uh, for the songs, um, I felt bored of writing lyrics, and I felt I had written what I needed for the record, and and it felt that I always, um, you know, lyrics are sort of a small window into usually a, a much wider text I would have written you know and mm-hmm. um and so suddenly when I started writing prose I felt liberated you know I felt oh I can do pages you know about one thing and I, I have mm-hmm. more freedom and more space basically it, it was just like it felt like moving from a studio apartment to a, to a two-bedroom flat you know <laughs> felt like suddenly I could stretch out and do some you know I have a bit more uh, room to express myself so um, yeah. so I started writing and, and then ended up, I uh, started writing dialogues and monologues, they're called, so we call them short stories, but actually they're, they're like people, they're people talking. Um, and, um, and they're in two parts, and monologues and dialogues. And, and I had written about five, I think, and I met this uh, publisher, Ali Braxton, who, um, who really loved what I had written and, and loved the idea of publishing as well an art book with pictures of Johnny Hostile, mm-hmm. uh, that he, my partner, who had, take, he had taken were the, the pictures were the inspiration for the stories originally. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was important to bring them back, to bring them together. And so the publisher was interested in that, and then he pushed me to write more. So I ended up writing 12 stories in the end. Um, and they're all about the subject of sexuality and freedom, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, but also jealousy or like different sort of um, expressions of um, the same things. But um, some are quite scary, I think, and there's a variation of moods in it. And um, even some stories are quite uh, dark and gore. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, so and the the freedom I took on it is because 
the subject is being fantasies, I felt there was a lot of freedom to um, not necessarily stick to the facts or, mm-hmm. or, or to reality. And I was really into um, the magical realism, you know, from South American writers like Borges. So, and I felt that was a really great way to approach fantasies in the sense of it doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to. It can be, um, it can be belong to the realm of imagination. Uh, which is probably this truest place for sexual expression. Well, and that's fascinating that you say that because I think people sometimes are scared of fantasy because they fear that they will become reality, but there's a place to agree that something is fantasy, in fact. Mm-hmm. And that you can yeah, yeah. yeah, and that you can play in that. And in a way it's it's almost safer to play with those dark elements within fantasy because you know that mm. that's where they're living (laughs) yeah and and you shouldn't whether they 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 are concretized or not whether they they are um one day uh enacted uh or not um they should have i think um we should claim a total freedom of 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 folks in in terms of uh, imagination and imagining things that are um that are um could be a turn on but not necessarily be um uh, very, you know, uh, realistic or, <laughs> or yeah. very uh, even moral. Mm. And a lot of people, I think, feel so much shame in imagining those things because then they're like, well, I don't want to harm someone or I don't want that to come about in real life. And I think that that's yeah. a place for fantasy because then you can Well, imagine- I think that's a, yeah, it's a, the same idea as, um, as you know, the, the, the religion uh, saying uh, that a, a thought can be as sinful as an act. Um, so I think there's this conscious of, you know, of, uh, of um, censorship inside our own heads about, um, about things when I actually, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I think I was always thinking um, if I, um, attracted to other people that means I'm not really in love with the person I'm with and uh, mm. and then as I got older I realized I wasn't true and actually I was I allowed more more and more myself freedom of imagination and and it doesn't mean betrayal it doesn't mean anything like you know it's uh, it's pretty much impossible to live a life without those kind of thoughts so I was gonna say like that's that's very in tune with my life philosophy. And I remember as a teenager reading, um, reading Anais Nin's work, Henry and June, and going, oh, mm. oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is eye-opening moment for me um, of, oh, you can have different feelings for different people. And they do not, mm. in fact, mean that you do not maintain those feelings for different people. Um, mm. and, that, and that other people feel those things. I was like, oh. Yeah, sixteen-year-old me was just mind blown. Yeah, I think it's important to um, to be able to um, to show um, alternatives, to present alternatives to people, um, because yes. it doesn't mean that everybody has to do the same things. Or you know, it's you know, not everything is for everybody. But I, I feel I think it's great to have those sort of uh, places where you can find uh, different uh, examples. You know. Well, yeah, and. and- it makes people question their assumptions of what they thought had to happen um, because mm-hmm. they, they can maybe choose a main, like kind of a mainstream narrative if the, if it's a choice as opposed to necessarily just choosing it because it's default and not thinking about it. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's um, a lot of, um, um, 
there's a lot of um, damage done by um, the idea of romanticism uh, in love, in relationships in general. Um, the idea that uh, love has to confine to some certain rules and certain um, certain things need to happen so that the love is judged to be true and to be. Um, yes. um, and I, I, I myself have had to, uh, especially in my twenties, I had to deconstruct some of those um, uh, assumptions and preconceptions that were, um, you know, sort of raised in me by, you know, my conditioning and just mm -hmm. society in general. And I think it's, it's or films, even entertainment or. Uh, the Hollywood industry, I think, has done a lot of damage in terms of uh, uh, what is love and what, what is a healthy relationship and what we should, um, what, what it requires, and etc. And I think the assumption is always that love is something that falls from the sky and um, that is not something you have to learn. Uh, whereas, actually, I think it's the opposite. And uh, um, love is something you can shape for yourself um, and yes. you can have your own rules and it doesn't have to be the common rules of monogamy marriage and children and family etc if you don't want it you know exactly yeah. and yeah. i love that you said that you you learn love because in some ways people give and receive love in such different ways and sometimes the language that you might speak is not the language that someone that you love receives. I was thinking about what you were saying that especially, you know, the primacy of romantic love that I think that mm -hmm. one, there's so many other kinds of love that then get devalued and that there's so many other expressions of emotions, even that aren't necessarily love that then are considered less than, which then also get devalued, I guess. Um, mm that I agree with you that the the Hollywood narrative and that it just falls from the sky, I think does a disservice to romantic love itself as well as the other kinds of love. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why it was important for me to write uh, uh, a book where I could truly express in a fiction, uh, you know, in different scenarios and different styles and, um, Maybe my my own my own conceptions of uh, relationships and love and sexuality and but also the conceptions of people around me people have heard talking and friends and because the book is um, so as I said was inspired by pictures and my partner Johnny Hostile had uh, when we moved to Paris three years ago he started a photography and mm -hmm. um, and started taking pictures of friends and and in our apartment and in then in different you know hotels or places we would stay around the world uh, while mm -hmm. traveling and and it became and all the pictures are anonymous so you never see the face and mm. i actually think it's quite important because it, it's um in we live in a society that's quite obsessed with the face you know with, with the selfie with the yeah uh, with the identity and when you remove that it becomes much more free and the body is more able to express itself and even nudity is not a problem anymore. And there is this sort of, a, um, you you lose your apprehension of uh, exposing your nudity, you know, your body. Mm -hmm. uh, you use the um, the fear of being reprehend, you know, of judgment um, and to be questioned for what you're doing. So, um, so which enabled a lot of liberation also of the speech and people talking about the experiences and a lot of that has influenced me as well. I was actually wondering that if um, if any of the stories were influenced by your interactions with the people who were being photographed or anything that they said or were they like kind of flights of fancy that you took from the images themselves? Um, it's a mix. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's really a mix of my own my own experiences and and 
things I've heard. Um, and, uh, um, so it's, it's a real mix and as parts of, parts of it are also my, my, my own imagination. You That's know? so wonderful. I'm so curious to see these photographs now. Yeah. The, the, the book, there's two books coming out. So there's a, a paperback sort of book with, uh, only one picture by store per stories. And mm. then there's a, an art book with, um, 300 or 400 pages of uh, beautiful pictures and and uh, and six stories in it as well. And that's so beautiful. What a wonderful way to collaborate as well. Yeah, and it was a new way of collaborating because obviously me and Jenny Hostel have known each other for 15 years and um, mm -hmm. we've collaborated. Um, and he produced the Savages Records, uh, my band, before. And um, we, we, we had a, also a project together, uh, in our early twenties when we moved to London, uh, and stayed there for 12 years and, mm -hmm. and, and he's produced and co-written uh, a lot of the songs on my record. Um, and so music has always been our collaborations, but this was a new way of, of collaborating, which was very nice, you know, um, to do something different. I love that. I was talking to another artist about reaching kind of outside of your normal creation process and that mm. that can then spark something in you like if you're used to collaborating with either your bandmates or a producer that you work with to reach outside of that and I was like that's so beautiful that it resulted in this I, I can't wait to actually read these stories and see the images now having listened to the music from the album mm. it was like kind of <laughs> time-wise I was just like oh this is going to be so exciting. I didn't know <laughs> photographs. And now I'm like, oh, I'm very, very excited to delve into this world. Um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is... <laughs> I'm excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is my jam. Um, how did it yeah. feel to collaborate differently after all those years? Because it sounds like, had you gotten into any sort of routines around collaboration musically that then were shaken up by this? Well, no, actually, for the record, To Love Is To Live, we, we, we were collaborating again, and we decided we were not going to do, do it the same way we always had done it before. Mm -hmm. So we already had sort of changed the way we worked together. And one of the things we did was um, to actually um, um, to, to, to include a lot of other people into the process. And mm -hmm. so it was not just the two of us and uh, also to allow a lot of freedom for each of us to work separately, God. not necessarily being on each other's back all the time. And, um, and um, yeah, we always come up with new rules and new things to try. And I think rules are important for me anyway. They, 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 they enable me to find a frame and then to, mm -hmm. uh, um, to then break the rules when I feel like it, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to break the rules if you don't know what the rules are. Yeah, but that's why you say what the rules are. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fascinating. I was thinking about what you were saying about, you know, kind of like the narratives that we tell ourselves about romantic love that we've internalized from outside media and I was thinking that I really like that you didn't internalize the narrative that you can only do one thing that like, you know, you kind of without shape mm -hmm. just went into writing these dialogues and that you just let yourself feel that inspiration and let it become something instead of going, Oh no, like I'm a songwriter. Like this should be in the songs. Mm. Like you're just like, no, I mm. want to write in this form. I want to write in prose. And like you said, to expand the scene in that mm. way. And I'm, I'm glad you did yeah. that. 
I can't, I can't control it. I think I just, um, I never waited for anyone to do anything. I never, I never waited to have an audience to be a musician. I never waited to, to even be recognized to, to be an artist. You know, I think that I will always do this. And, and so to me, the sense of accomplishment I get is from finishing a piece of work I've been doing and then moving on to the next. Um, I I sometimes surprise myself how much of that is true because I, I even in my relationship with Johnny Hussle, like the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 primary base of our relationship is um is based on creativity and having ideas and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and trying out new mediums and I just think it's in my DNA at this point um, and and I just um, I I don't um, I don't think it will ever end uh, for me and uh, and so when I'm, I'm taken by a new inspiration for example when I started writing the story so I decided to travel on my own and to set up in a city where I didn't know anybody and settle there and write every day and just go out only for my meals and then mm-hmm. a little walk every day and then come back and write and it was sort of a you know sort of a discipline I, I put on myself to do this and I was just because I really enjoyed it I enjoyed the routine of that and I enjoyed the, but I, at that point I hadn't got, I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have any, I had nothing. Like I was just, just me <laughs> doing this thing on my own and, you know, and, and not really thinking of where it's going to go or, you know, what it's going to be. And when Johnny, I started starting photography, it was the same mm-hmm. for him. He was not thinking, oh, one day I'll do a book. No, it wasn't at all, at all thinking that way. Um, and, um, so, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I just guess it's part of. Even now, in confinement, when I'm writing and I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm started. I started again writing lyrics actually, and oh, uh, and I just, I, I feel, um, again, I don't know what it is for. I just, <laughs> it's just I can't, I can't really. If I don't do it, I feel like I'm dying. Like I feel, yeah. I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm dying inside and I'm just, I feel super un- unhappy. Um, and I feel I've, um, no, it's not guilt because it's not like, oh my God, I haven't got done anything in my day, but it's more, right. I feel a sense of void and a sense of emptiness. And I feel I haven't faced something during the day that I should have been facing and, and right. you know, the blank page and the idea of, and, and just the idea, I, I miss, I think that the, the feeling of being inspired Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is very addictive I think it, it is a feeling that feels um, it, of course it's frustrating because it doesn't always come <laughs> you can be trying to write and you can be but I think even the days when you don't feel inspired you should try to write anyway I, I think that's what I try to do anyway and I had an experience recently which actually proved that proved that uh, was a proof of that even more it's, I was asked for the first time to write a, a foreword for a book Oh, and um, it's a book that has been that's going to come out in France, mm-hmm. and it's a book about um, the bands in UK bands in the eighties, so Joy Division, Dismissed, mm. uh, The Fall, and you know. And mm-hmm. I was asked to write a foreword, and I had never done that in my life. And I, I was supposed to write it in French as well, which I really never do. I never write in French. Um, Goodness. So 
so for weeks, so I had a deadline early May and for weeks I was like, oh, I can't do this. And it was just a pain. Every time I was trying, I was writing and every time I wrote a sentence, I'm like, this is shit, this is shit. <laughs> and then I was, but I kept at it and I kept at it. So at some point I had like maybe 10 paragraphs or something. And mm. and then and then I sort of reshaped things. But all the, all the way through, I didn't believe in it. I was all the way through, I was like, this is not right. This is not right. And then I sent it. Uh, I first sent it to my sister actually because she she she's you know she I like her to read stuff and mm-hmm. and her first impression was really positive so it gave me a boost and I was like okay maybe <laughs> I should write, write this up write this up and send it to the writer and see what he gets you know and then I sent it finally and then the re- response I had was so positive he was he actually was so moved by what I had written oh. in because it was linked to why his story and anyway but. And then I felt so happy. And that was Monday, right? And <laughs> there's been good and bad days during this confinement. That was definitely yeah. a good day. That was almost yeah. nothing. It was just someone telling me, I love this. This is I'm so proud to have it on my book and this is gonna be great and and that positivity. And and I just thought again about all the the process of it. It was mm-hmm. so painful. All the way through <laughs> I was in disbelief and I was really feeling uh, it was hard. Every word was sweat and hard work, you know. And but the outcome was so positive. I, it was a good example for me. I was like, you know, you know what? Um, never give up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, never give mm-hmm. up. Fifty percent of the job is doing it, showing up and doing the work, and the rest is will work. I was kind of reflecting on what you're talking about in writing that you really. It sounds like in some ways when you're talking about the stories that you were writing around the photographs that flowed completely easily and you just you you followed that curiosity and then with writing this forward it was painful but you continued to follow it and I was thinking about what you said about love and I was thinking about I don't know Hmm. if, if there's a word for that kind of creative love that we have for our inspirations that we follow them even when they're painful or when they're easy it's like no we must follow them because you showed such love in both of those works that you just described and I I was like, there's got to be a word in some language that describes that sort of love, that you have that, spark, <laughs> you have that curiosity and you're like, I must follow you, even when it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I still can't explain, for someone who's been in a relationship for 15 years now, I still can't explain how it works. You know, why? Because there's always a moment you have a choice. There's always a moment where you see the doorway and you can mm-hmm. stop it and you can go away. But there's always, um, if you, there's, there's something that stops you from doing that. And I don't know what it is. And that's just, uh, it, what were you saying about finding the right word and making me think of that? It's just, I don't know how to find the right word for, love is not even the right word. I think it's, um, love is too much attached to it, too much um cliches too much images um so there's something else it's an attachment and an attachment to your work and an attachment to another being yeah and um where it's almost like a promise you've made at some point and that you're never going to break no matter what i remember when i was a kid um you know when you have to make wishes when you're uh, for birthdays and things like that of course so I, I'm not able to say my wish, actually. I just realized, because if I say it, it will break. <laughs> but, 
so I don't know how to finish this sentence, but um, I, I just remember that um, uh, it's just a promise that you make to yourself um, mm -hmm. and something that I think that's rooted deep in childhood um, uh, about uh, the commitment you put to, into something. It's like great athletes, you know, they, yeah. they never give up no matter what. And I think there's the resilience is something that you, it's a quality that you absolutely need when you're uh, creating something, I think. Um, and um, and trying to keep away the bad thoughts and the bad because they come they always come of um, course yeah well yeah like when you were speaking of you know working on that forward that you had those thoughts of doubt and that you had the thoughts that it wasn't reflecting what you wanted and that you you know you said like oh the sentence was shit and then you were just gonna throw it away um that it's like even when those doubts came in you didn't you didn't let the doubts overtake you. You had the commitment that you're like, nope, I'm going to finish this. It's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to finish it. And that and that speaks to me of like the the choice that we have, whether it's in relation to mm. other people or to our work, that it's like you can you can choose something over and over again. Mm. Exactly. And I, 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 I still find myself pushing and I can sense when it's hard when I feel like I'm pushing the ball up the, the hill which is kind mm -hmm. of what's happening now with the situation you know with the releasing a record and the whole touring going away um and because of the the, the you know the yeah. the situation that yeah. in the world right now and um so it's harder you know it's and and I was thinking that I was like you know what it's already hard to release a record but this is even harder right. you know what I mean it's uh, it's um in a way I you know when I started making music I moved to London when I was 20 mm -hmm. with Johnny Hostile and we started playing clubs all around the city wherever they would want us would play in front of one person sometimes zero Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i i think and we'd carry your gear you know up and down the narrow stairs and oh my, my back many times that sounds horrible and uh, it was amazing i had some of the best times of my <laughs> life um it was it was just us doing our thing and not asking or, or waiting for anybody to tell us what to do or how to do it or yeah and I built my whole career doing that, I think. So whenever, when the world collapses, which is what's happening now, when everything mm -hmm. disappears, I still have me, you know, I still have yeah. that relationship to the work. And I, I've been there, you know what? I know what it is, you know, to have no one who believes in you. Yeah. <laughs> right now I have an amazing team who's working on my records. I have a lot of people who believe in me, you know, and so... So it's even better than it used to be, but I still can find that place where it's hard, you know what? And you tell yourself in your head, well, it's going to be hard, you know? Yeah. But I know hard. <laughs> You're like, I'm on it. I'm totally on it. And that... I know hard, yeah. That's fascinating yeah. that you said that, that thinking about that relationship to oneself, because I was thinking about that, that you had, you'd already kind of given yourself a sneak preview in a way of having... <laughs> having yeah. your, your writing time that you took, that you, you went to a different city, you were on your own. Yeah. You had set up almost like a, a prelude to where we are now. And yeah. so in a way you had, you had already reflected on, well, what is it like to have this relationship with myself? Though I can imagine it would be jarring to have to return to that when you had been in a time 
with releasing a record that, I mean, listeners would know that that's usually when you're going out on tour and you're seeing exactly. Yeah. And you're getting to celebrate yeah. that you probably had been kind of either alone or, or with your collaborators pretty tightly. Yeah. And, it's like a flower blooming where all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I was definitely gearing (laughs) up to go on tour and to go out into the world. I was not going into introspective um, (laughs) mood. I was going to introspective, you know, and being out there and and defending this record and celebrating, as you say, because it's been quite insular and, and within looking sort of process. So I was looking forward to, you know, do the opposite, which is always the balance, you know, with the life of a musician. It's like, there's a moment where you're in and the moment where you're out. And, and I love both of them. I've learned to, I learned how way to like the, the moments where I'm with myself and because I'm more of an out person, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, you know, I was always the kid who was putting on the plays and doing the, you know, putting on the show and trying to make everybody laugh. And so I think I'm, and I'm very comfortable on stage and I'm very open to that experience. So, but now I'm forced to stay in even longer than it's, right. you know, I've trained myself. <laughs> right. And also in some ways it's very different. I think that people are underestimating that it's different when it's a choice as opposed to something that you yeah. do. I think for artists it's really hard because we hate to do what everybody else is doing. I mean, personally, that's, yes. that's how I feel. I hate to do what I'm told to do. I hate. To. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, it's like a lesson in humility. It's like, um, I love, I love staying in when everybody's out, for instance. I love yes. doing exactly the opposite of what everybody else is doing. It's a great feeling that to feel like you're isolating yourself when everybody's going out to celebrate something or whatever. Yeah. Like New Year's Eve, for instance. I hate New Year's Eve. <laughs> I, I love staying at a New Year's Eve because I feel like I'm there's a tension yeah. in me. I'm 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 creating a friction and I'm 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 saying no and I think saying no is very important. I um, hilariously I feel much the same way. I, I tend to spend New Year's Eve not in the city. I feel you very much in regards of being almost contrarian where I'm always up quite late and I tend to work on music quite late, but now everyone mm. is home. And it makes me do crazy things like like not be in my home in the middle of the night making music, despite the fact that that's what I love doing. And yeah. I'm like, but what is this new thing inside of me that now, now, great, now I want to go to a cafe. Now I want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now I want to go and party and go to a rave party or whatever. Exactly, yeah, no. exactly. And I think it is that. Now I want gigs more than ever. <laughs> yes, whereas before it and like, ugh, do I have to play a gig? Fine, I guess I'll leave the studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm like, oh no, I've never been like that actually, to be honest. I was more referring to um, to being in the audience. I, I don't ah, enjoy much ah. um, festival audiences or being in the crowds. But oh, now I feel, oh. I feel actually I, all I want is to be in a mosh pit right now. Oh, yeah, because you had said that you like to perform. And I think that that's something that would be really hard, quite honestly, like putting out an album and not being able to perform it. Because I would assume like had you already planned mm. everything for like your stage show and things like that for the tour. Yeah, we worked like for six months on, on the show and... Um, you know, it was um, took some time to find the right musicians, and then putting it all uh, 
it was like a reverse strategy because we we I, I made the record completely for, forgetting about the stage aspect, which was mm-hmm. the opposite way I had always worked. With Savages, it was always about the live aspects of things, and then the record. Um, we we'd even write songs on stage, so oh, wow. so I I. For this record, I, I was thinking, no, I'm going to do the opposite of everything I've done before. So including, I'm making a record. I'm not thinking of the live. And so when it was time to think of the concerts and, and things like that, I just, it was just working backwards and just trying to find the best way to do it. And we worked hard on this like for six months. And then we were ready and we did a, sh- a show. Thank, thank God we did a show, at least one, at the BBC yeah. Six Festival in at the Roundhouse in London. And and it was amazing. It was, it was, I, I knew we had the show. I knew everything was working really well mm-hmm. and, and we were ready to go on tour. So I was really happy, but yeah, we'll, we'll come back. <laughs> I'm glad that you got the one, the one show before this. At least, yeah. <laughs> because I, I can't imagine working for, for that long and not getting any kind of like catharsis on it at all. At least, yeah. At least <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> it would be, it would have been awful. Oh, it was just like, that would be, that would be the worst feeling. Mm. I was imagining also that now you're kind of forced into that introspective space again. And I was wondering like how you're staying curious in the same way that you stayed curious about your writing process that you, you know, were like, oh, well, I, I wasn't writing lyrics. And so I wrote prose and now you're writing lyrics. And I was wondering kind of like what sparked your curiosity this time around to return to lyrics? Um. I, I know the answer, but I feel like I don't want to tell it to you because <laughs> because because it's um because it's so fresh for me. Totally. And I feel like if I share this, I will I will sort of I'm afraid maybe it's it's a fear, but I would I'm afraid to um that we would destroy it because sometimes when you 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 have the feeling you found something that is a new inspiration for writing, it's just it has to be secret for a while. Um, because it feels like I love the feeling of having found something that nobody else has. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so if I said, I could probably say it wouldn't be bad, but I just prefer to not take the risk and just keep it for me right now. I would love for you to keep it for you. My best friend and I call those baby bird songs that like we'll be writing and the other will message the other and say, Oh, what are you working on? And if, if one of us says that it's a baby bird song, we know that it's like, it's too early. Like it's in its early yeah. stage. We can't, we can't share it yet, even with our best friend. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> it's too yeah. precious. It's almost like bursting the bubble of a fantasy that's like just begun. You're like, no, no, just let me, let me have this fantasy moment. <laughs> yeah, and and I think inspiration is like it starts with a very very thickle sort of uh, candlelight. So almost, you know, it's it's uh, and it's very fragile, and you need to nurture it and preserve it and and do everything you can to keep it alive mm-hmm. and make it grow um so yeah I completely understand and I'm actually glad that you said like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it. Like, <laughs> no protect it and nurture it because I know that then later it's gonna grow into something absolutely beautiful and epic like when I was listening to your record last night that's that's what I was thinking of when when you said that you were nurturing it right now and and protecting mm. it because I can see sort of what grows from your inspiration. And I was like, yes, do your thing. I, we will, <laughs> we will <laughs> see the thing when it is ready to come out. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And I was wondering on that record, because you had really interesting collaborators and it, it kind of, Mm -hmm. it, it dovetailed in my mind with what you're saying about the photographs. And I was wondering how you chose the collaborators you did and kind of what that process mm. is like when you are ready to share with people um on this record i was very open to uh share the work quite early on uh with mm-hmm. the co- potential collaborators um which was the exact opposite of the way i had worked before um in my band savages where we would basically not play anything to anyone until it was finished uh, mm-hmm. and there was this protectiveness going on which was essential and important at the time but I felt a bit suffocating uh, mm-hmm. you know of that process and I felt for this record I want to try things I had never tried and I wanted freshness and fresh ideas and fresh methods and fresh people you know people who who, who can influence me in a different way mm-hmm. so the one of the methods I've now tried was to actually be very open very early on with the work and the work in progress mm-hmm. uh, musically and also lyrically and uh and he paid off because i think what happened is um sometimes when you protect an idea for too long uh, and you don't want it to be altered by other people you're so prevented from being uh, the best it can be mm-hmm. because when you open your work you have to be open to um comments and yes. criticism criticism not critique you know criticism yeah and um constructive and if you, the, yeah, yeah yeah and if you're open to criticism then you're open to to improve it right. and uh and i think that's what i've been doing on this record whether i was work when i was working with atticus ross from mm-hmm. nine inch nails mm-hmm. um or sending him our demos you know and um and he was always very very um positive about what we would send to him he was very you know he always loved every vocal I would send or any he always praised the the, the lyrics and mm. and he, he would just be um very precise about what he thinks could be improved in the music yeah um yeah. and what he could bring and he wanted to talk in depth about that and uh before he'd, he'd do anything uh any work and uh but I think, and that's what I've heard from the people like Flood always said that I was really open to to his influence mm-hmm. uh, uh, into the production of some of the songs, including the latest songs I've just released from the record called Heroin, which he produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and and open to for him to say, this is this doesn't work, you know, this song mm-hmm. doesn't work. How can we improve it? And I'm right. never offended by that. And I think in the long run i think it's just um i'm looking for the best idea and it doesn't really matter if it comes from me or not in the end i know it's my record and i know i've got the final say um and if the the main idea that needs to be removed of the song is my only input into the song then so be it you know um uh for heroin for instance one of the tracks on the record mm-hmm. um i had to rewrite all the lyrics uh it was a song called heroism originally mm-hmm. and uh and flood was like it should be called heroin and you should write about this and, you know and so i had to really shape everything and when he said that there was a part of me for um well if you say this there's no song because basically you've taken out the whole core of the it's song and asked me song. to yeah, and you asked me to replace the whole, the heart of the song, so I'd rather write a new song because this is, this is like getting rid of the, everything, 
and <laughs> but but you have that instant thought and then you you sort of calm yourself and you're like hang on yep <laughs> I can do this it's a, it's a little bit like the the pre- preface experience I was telling you about earlier uh-huh. on uh-huh. you're you're with your pen and paper and you're like I can't I can't do this I can't do this and then you're writing with a sentence and you're like I can't do this I can't do this and, <laughs> and then and then the more you go then you've got 10 10 lines and mm-hmm. and then and then you just do it, you know, and you don't know why, but it works. And so sometimes you have to not listen to your feelings. And I think I've learned in the work, especially to sometimes to just not care about how I feel. Uh, yep. uh, of course, you have to feel the music, but sometimes feelings can be triggered by fear, um, you know. Yeah. And, yes. And sometimes you don't feel anything, but that doesn't mean that it's not good, you know. Uh, so, so it's not just all about enjoyment and about belief in the work. If I believe in the work, it means it's good. No, you can really love something. It's actually crap. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's hard, but you, it's, it's getting that balance, I guess. Well, and when you mentioned kind of the difference in this versus when you said that you would sometimes write songs on stage, like that to me almost like speaks of the trust that you have with, with him and like, then mm. formed this trust with new people for this record. And from what you're saying, it sounds like you did trust them because it helped you push through those fears. Yeah. I, that was beautiful. And it reminded me of something a client of mine had said that I love that they were like, well, you have your first thoughts about something, but your first thoughts are sometimes garbage. So really you want to look to your mm. thoughts and maybe your third thoughts. And like, <laughs> because you might have one of those like defensive reactions of, you know, mm. but I wrote this, isn't it good? Or like, oh, but this is the heart of the song. And so like your first thought might be one of like defense or hurt. And then if you yeah. look what's past that feeling, it's like, okay, you can have that initial, oh, but I liked what I said. Um, and then once you get past that, it's like, well, but what else could be said? Why is mm. this person telling me this about this song? What else mm. could this song be? And it's like letting go of that attachment to it. And mm. I loved that they said that because now sometimes when I have reactions that are defensive, I'm like, oh, okay, that was a first thought. We can maybe toss that one in the bin and mm. move, on to the ne- <laughs> move on to the next thought. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's also trying to find the courage, you know, to to go a little bit further. And I think uh, also you need to, you know, I know a lot of people would stop at the first draft because, because it's um, – you know this, this this idea that if I'm asked to rework, it means I'm not. Um, it's too much to ask, you know, for some people mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to reconsider or re, you know, um, to 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 self to to, to have self doubt, you know, about mm-hmm. about your own work and to second guess what you're doing. And, but I think sometimes, though, um, it's important to trust your guts. And the first reaction you have to something is uh, very important, you know. And um, if you don't like something, you don't like something. And there's no one that can argue that, you know. It's, right. You're the artist. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And no one can be like, yeah, but it reminds me of this. It can be that. And yeah, but I don't like it, you know. So yeah. there's no arguing. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess what I discovered in this scenario, being a solo artist, I suppose, is the fact that I have final say, and mm-hmm. it's my record, so I can, I can always get people in and bring and for them to have all these ideas and for me to be excited. But when I 
decided. So no, I, no one, no one can, you know. Yeah, no one can say otherwise. It's yours. No, yeah. So yeah, and that's it's a nice position to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because sometimes with other with other art forms, because I, I read that you that you act as well, and it sounds like in a way, like though, for instance, you would do multiple takes, ultimately then it's up to the editor and the director and the producer. Yeah, it's a totally on. different game. Yeah. yeah, that you might it's give- It's a total loss of control, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you surrender everything. You surrender your image to someone else, basically. Um, and you have to trust that it would, you know, show you, you, you some I understand why actors don't watch films they, they they've been acting in because um it must be awful sometimes uh, just because some details you know you know they chose the take where you did something you didn't like or mm-hmm. you know the take after was better but they chose it for technical issues they chose this one before and all these micro decisions that the audience does, doesn't really notice for you as an actor is is unbearable because you losing the control i mean an actor it shouldn't be unbearable for an actor it should be their job really but because it's not exactly my job um i i i I sometimes struggle with uh with the idea of surrounding you know control yeah yeah and i i respected that i think it was adam driver that walked out of an interview after saying that he didn't want to watch footage of himself and then they played footage of him and he excused himself from the interview. And I respect that he had that boundary for that exact reason. Yeah. Because in a way, I love the way that you phrased it, that it's like you're surrendering. And if you, if you aren't the one that's making those decisions, why would you even be able to comment upon it? Because in a way you've kind of thrown out all these kind of ideas and collages and, that then someone else has chosen one of them. And so yeah. if they want to talk about it's it. It's not your job. Yeah, it's like talk yeah. talk to the director. Why why would you? Yeah. <laughs> why and, would you ask and, me? Yeah, and I think there's a again to trying to preserve something in your own performance or the own if you want to be in the character. I think good actors are people who surround it all and not half of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh are not conscious of what their face is doing while they're doing it, you know, and who are not conscious of the camera and um, so, uh, it's a real, it's a real, um, that's why it's such a fucked up, like, job to be an actor. I don't think I can do it. Um, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real, um, you, you, you really surrender. Yeah. You really, really, really surrender yourself. It's, it's total submission in a way. <laughs> you, you, you totally let go. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. It sounds People like we can do that. That's why yeah. I'm fascinated by actors who can act bad guys or bad people. Because um, because they allow people to see a side of themselves that they would naturally wouldn't let anybody want see. You know, everyone have their own censorship. You know, you don't. Mm-hmm. No matter how much people say, I don't care what everybody thinks of me. I think um, we still have this sort of uh, um, defense mechanisms where we're trying to be perceived at least not too badly. And so, people who act bad guys they have really surrounded that image control thing because they, they, they allow, that's one of the first things you learn when you're doing acting classes is, you know, if you're trying to, people who act bad guys, but still trying to be cool, it doesn't really work. <laughs> it, it's, um, it's, you have to really be the bad guy, you know, and 
and that's that's hard you know to allow people to see that yeah yeah it's very vulnerable it reminded me of what you were talking about initially in the writing of the stories of tapping into fantasies and particularly into darker emotions Mm -hmm. that it's like it's especially with acting you actually do have to in a way go there and not just mentally go there but uh, yeah except writing a book is is very protected you know you're not there in the flesh and you're not um you know so it's it's easier I think to do it in a book at least for me yeah now I'm curious like did you play a bad guy Oh, um, he actually, I did in 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 a, in a film that a French film that's coming out in July. Ah. Um, I play um, Anglo-Saxon mercenary, um, um, uh, very angry uh, <laughs> killer. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm the right hand side or right hand person of or warrior of a sting who plays another character in the movie and the movie is like um it's um it's a comedy but it's also an epic historical movie you know um and um it's 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 really um it's one of the most expected movies uh in france because it it was a tv series before that Mm -hmm. ended 10 years ago um about king arthur Oh, uh, and the quest of growl, and it was a very funny cult TV uh, series, and mm-hmm. uh, and then now finally making a, a movie out of it. So, oh my gosh, people are expecting that a lot. <laughs> What's it called? A uh, Camelot. Ah, that's a good name for the story you just described. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would imagine, you know, given (laughs) everything, um, that hopefully we'll be able to stream it because I was like, yeah, I'm very curious what the bad guy in that context would mean. Um, Do you think that when productions start up again, do you think you'd want to act again? Or do you think that now that you've gone through that experience, you're like, okay, I've done that and maybe that's not for me? Or like, what are your feelings on that? No, I like it. I mean, I've been in two movies since I've been back to France. I'm um, mm-hmm. um, auditioning when people want to see me uh, try some stuff. I mean, acting is a very difficult job in the sense of you get so little um, compared to how much you audition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why I didn't want it. I, I didn't want to do it as my main job when I was younger mm-hmm. and I had the choice. I wanted to, uh, I chose to leave to London and be a musician instead. So it mm-hmm. felt like I had my life in my hands and and instead of waiting for someone to offer me a job, it was unbearable, um, that feeling for me. And so so I do castings and stuff and I've been casted for some stuff, but I, I, I rarely get the job. I think it's just the nature of being an actor. Um, yeah. Yeah. For most of actors, I mean, people don't really talk about that, but it's just... Um, a lot of it is just trying to get a job, you know, and yeah. and so luckily it doesn't occupy my days and nights because I've got other things going on. So, so, so I'm lucky that way. So I can just do it, and and if I'm not chosen, then it's not it's okay. Like I, I've right. got other things, right. um, but I I do meet some incredible people though, and and. Uh, and uh, and I always hope to do more and uh, with great directors and whenever there's a chance and I'll, I'll I always think that 
luck and chance, you know, passes by more than once in in a lifetime. And yes, it's just about knowing when when it does and recognizing it and being able to seize your chance, uh, which I've done for the two films that I've done. So whenever you know luck passes by again, I will I will jump on it. You know. Mm. Well, and it speaks to remaining like curious and open to when things come by that inspire you in any form. Just being like, ah, yeah, I'll hop on that train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though, in the, even even if you don't know, you can do it. I mean, I've been hosting my own TV show uh, for now a few months in France. I started mm-hmm. um, a music TV show called Echoes with Jenny Beth um, that you can stream on YouTube, and it's in English and everything. It's with um, uh, it's it's with different musicians who come and perform with an audience and then um, have a discussion with me. Ah. And the whole thing is cutting, is, is edited together and in an hour show. And and I've had King Cool and, and I've had um, Jeff Bauer, Portishead. I had um, mm-hmm. Idols, Primus Cream. I had, um, and the next one I'll have King Gordon, Ooh. Ed O'Brien. So there's a really good you know mix of people and um when I was offered to do this or to try to think of a concept for a tv show and what I would want to do mm-hmm. I didn't know I could do it you know I didn't <laughs> I was like I've never done this but what the heck you know why not I think I can do this let's try and and curiosity I think is gonna get the better of me someday <laughs> I <laughs> I just feel curious and I feel, I learn, I know I learned something doing it and also I learned how to do it on the way and yes, and why not, you know? And it's much like you said on your album that the worst that happens is that something doesn't work and then you don't have to yeah. do it. And the best that happens is you, you come out with an album. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, what's there to lose? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think that, you know, normally I would ask people at the end of an interview, you know, like, what would you suggest to anybody who is mm. creative or aspires to be um, a creative? And I think that that in itself is beautiful advice that you just said is, you know, like, well, I'll learn along the way. Like, why, why not do it? <laughs> it's funny, it reminds me of my, when I was uh, maybe... 12 or something like that I was working at my desk one day um, in my bedroom and my dad opened the door and walked in and he didn't say a word and he just put on my desk a piece of paper and and then left the room and then I picked up the piece of paper it was like a small square mm-hmm. and on it he had written um, a quote from the poet René uh-huh. and if I translate it well it said uh, impose your luck um, hold on to your happiness, run to your risk, looking at you, they will get used to it. Wow. And yeah, it was really nice. Oh. And uh, it was one of the most important advice I think I've, I've received uh, from my dad. Um, and it stayed with me and I still have it with me. I was literally, that's exactly what I was thinking was, where's that, where's that scrap of paper? Yeah, I've had it, <laughs> I've had it here. Uh, it's always with me. I've got um, a working space in Paris where I come and work with this mm-hmm. desk, my piano, sofa, window. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I have it here in this room. So 
Oh, well, that's a beautiful talisman. And that the way you translate it is, you know, running towards your risk. And that, mm. and and then, as you were saying before, that, you know, worrying about what people think of you, that the line about that they'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah, they'll get used to it. Yeah. It's true. They always do. They exactly. Always do. Exactly. That's, oh, that's beautiful. I was like, everyone should have such a gift of a poem like that. And especially when you're in the midst of your work to have, you know, mm-hmm. even reflecting back on that kind of love that we were speaking of that, that I was like, oh, that's the kind of love that we need is people to drop <laughs> by little poems like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like whatever yeah. love that's called. Yeah. My father wasn't, um, he didn't speak much, but he he would. Um, that was this type of language, you know. Other people's words, he would he would share mm-hmm. them a lot. Oh, well, and now now you get to share them with us, and that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> oh, thank you so so much for taking the time to join me. I know that it's an extraordinary thank you. circumstance, and so I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And be safe, take care, and uh, hopefully meet you in the flesh at some point when all of this is uh, just a bad memory. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB The Podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. (laughs) 